Good morning, loved ones. You are about to listen to the Roll Bob podcast. This is Andy speaking. Cooper is out today. So get ready to ease your mind, go to your happy place, find your inner dump truck wallpaper, and urinate to smooth jazz. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Roll Blob Podcast with Andy, Cap, and Coop. Coop is out tonight, so you'll be getting no random things. Deal with it. Andy, OG intro tonight. Let's get it. How are you, Andy? You finally care how I am? I, I just, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm, I'm so overcome with emotion that people actually care that I don't know what to say. I mean, that's just the greatest moment of my life. Andy, um, did I get the Coop okie doke? Did you think I was going to throw three randoms out there? No, I did not because we just don't have it. We're not that talented. We are not as talented as Cooper Ledford is. We cannot think of three random things to blurt out. Uh, Cooper but, is so talented that when, when something says describe the lockout in six words, he just says Major League Baseball is locked out. I mean, the man understood the assignment. He's, he's just a marvel. His mind is just I, – I can't get enough. It's just absolute art. So, Andy, SoCon. Bring me a SoCon. We had a good night. It's, this is only Monday, Andy. We're just getting started. If you're listening to this, it's Tuesday, and we're, we're probably missing something else glorious in the basketball world going on. But, Andy, we had Mr. Hot Balls, his balls are hot, to talk Big East tournament, kind of a Big East primer of sorts. Um, and then, too, you and I, you're a little under the weather. I'm just a little tired. And Hot Balls is just that guy that's just going to, you know, talk for 99% of the podcast, and we don't have to do any work. And that's what people come here anyway. So, like, they, they – it came perfect. So we heard Coop was out. Um, he was feeling under the weather today. Um, so he, he's feeling a little sick. And we felt this would be a good time to have more hot balls and less us. So we replaced Coop, Coop with less us tonight. So Merry Christmas to you all. Best time of the year. March is here. And you don't have to hear our bullshit. Addition by addition, also addition by subtraction. Either way, it's addition. We'll obviously probably talk more Xavier here in the, in the coming weeks, but we thought it would be a perfect time for a Big East tournament primer. So here's our boy, Mr. Hopwalls. What is up, everyone? The balls are back. The vibes are back. A massive treat, as always. We have the Spaces King. The king of Yukon debauchery. We have hot balls in the building. How are you, brother? You're welcome. <laughs> it sounds right. It's here. Uh, balls, it's great to have you. It is Big East Tournament Week. We just watched Furman Chattanooga. The vibes are up. It's only Monday. Tuesday when you're listening to this. It's Big East Week. I just want to hear. I know you're going. I know you've, you've gotten hashtag transportation together. This guy, logistics specialist. Just talk. Where, where you, where's your head at, bro? I'm pretty excited, man. Like this has been, this is going to be my first Big East tournament uh, since 11. I ain't going 12 and we were banned in 13. So, um, you know, it's been, it's, this has uh, been 11 years in the making, my return to the garden. So I'm uh, pretty excited to finally go down there and feel that energy again. Like <clears throat> I gotta be honest with you, the American athletic conference tournament was like, get your dick stuck in a lawnmower. It was not, exactly the most exciting time on planet earth so well i don't know get your dick stuck in the lawnmower is at least exciting um <laughs> i don't know if it's a terribly pleasant experience but like i don't know man they had it in hartford one year and it was fucking depressing as shit i didn't want to go and we were hosting it so like to be just <clears throat> out of that whole thing um and being back in the big east is great but, like, even last year, like, yeah, I mean, we were back. It was nice to see it. What we got, I was very appreciative for. 
Uh, thank God we did get what we got. But like, you know, not going to the the Big East tournament at the end of the year just didn't didn't feel right. And, right. Um, you know, so finally it feels like we're going to have like the right ending to the season. Uh, we get to make our annual pilgrimage to New York City, uh, <laughs> get to meet everybody else in the conference. And for us this year, it's a kind of a little bit of a new experience, too, because there's a whole bunch of people there that we've never seen in New York. I don't know if these people have ever seen New York. I can't wait to see where Creighton fans are going to be parking their buggies outside of Madison Square Garden this year. I want to see how that whole dynamic works, but uh, going to see some old fr friends, maybe make some new ones, maybe make a couple enemies. Uh, but whatever happens, uh, I'll bet my ass that everybody makes fun of Providence fans. <laughs> From your lips to God's ears. Bro, so for some of us, like newcomers, like the Butlers of the world, the Creightons of the world, the Xavier's of the world, like for <laughs> us, it was always the conference tournament is a means to an end. Uh, for us, it's like, yeah, the conference tournament's great. If we win it, awesome. But for us, it's just about improving our seed. And obviously, the Big East tournament's different. We've always known that. We're all college basketball fans. Of course, it, it carries much more weight than any other conference tournament. But for some of us, it's a little overhyped. Like, I feel like certain fans would rather win the Big East tournament than, like, go to a Sweet 16, for example. What makes it so special? Why is it such a big deal uh, to, to old Big East teams? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think one thing I've kind of noticed, it's, it's kind of a complicated answer, but um, it, it's been interesting having had this much of a layoff from the Big East and coming back to it. Um, there's definitely a mood swing in the conference that's very different from how it was, you know, even 10 years ago. But when you go back to like, People call that the old Big East. That really wasn't the old Big East. The old Big East, we're talking like 80s and 90s. And that was just a completely different animal, right? Yeah. And, you know, you kind of have to go back to the beginning as to why the conference became a thing to begin with. You know, there was a bunch of pretty competitive basketball programs in the Northeast, you know, that the South wouldn't spit in our general direction. They wouldn't schedule you. They'd snub you out of tournaments. They'd snub you out of competitions, right? And these schools said, well, fuck this shit. You know, we'll just make our own conference and, and do it that way. And so, like, imagine an entire conference made up of providences, right? Where Kill you me. have these guys with, you know, every school had that inferiority complex. Providence is still yet to shed that. But, like, the rest of the conference – was made up by that. And, you know, look, you had John Thompson who came with a loaded chip on his shoulder, Jim Calhoun, who would come with a loaded chip on his shoulder, Raleigh Massimino, who would come with a loaded chip on his shoulder, you know, and I always was a big believer in the fact that like fans tend to kind of take on the personality of their coaches, right. In whatever way, shape or form, we even see it today. Right. And so you take that in inferiority complex um, I think you take the, the personalities of the coaches, but then you start to look at the players like back then, you know, this was a hotbed for basketball, but everybody was fucking leaving, right? Like everybody was peacing out. Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar leaving here, going out to UCLA, right? Um, guys were not, players were not staying. Now they're staying. So like now, when you're staying here, not only are these guys in your backyard and you're competing over them and like, you know, them and you got relationships with them, but like, they also come with baggage that you build up in four years of high school basketball playing with each other, like bills, receipts, and there's an intensity to it. And then you just take the whole Northeast United States dynamic, right? Like you guys out in the Midwest, very polite, friendly people. You could talk a little trash, but like everything's easy for you guys. Your, your, your streets are gridded right? You just take lefts yeah. and rights. You're not curving and going under bridges and through swamps and God knows where, right? You don't have to deal with all the fucking traffic all the time. Like Northeasterners are in a rush, they're in a hurry, and they're always pissed off and they're pretty rude. All right. So you mix that all together into this little cocktail of a basketball league. And then on top of it, you like mass feed it to the population where we go to ESPN and get a TV deal and you're beaming games out of D.C. And you're beaming games out of Philly. And you're beaming games out of New York City and Hartford and Boston. You know, and all these major media markets, Pittsburgh. And all of a sudden, you got a fucking street fight, man. Like, it was just a different, you know, when I joke around about making the Big East mean again, like, 
it wasn't about like, hey, buddy, let's go to the games together and see the whole game. This would be fun. I'm going to sit with my friends. Like, J.P. Carlos Mo isn't coming out to your fucking game out in Xavier in 1988, right? Nobody's going into anybody else's arena without, like, really thinking it through before they do it, right? And so you have all these things coming together. And then, like, the inflated egos of it actually fucking working, right? Yeah. Because when you think about the first 15 years of the conference – Right. Obviously, you start off with Georgetown being excellent and becoming a national powerhouse. Syracuse becoming a national powerhouse. St. John's becoming a national powerhouse. But then what happens in the late 80s? Providence goes to a final four. Seton Hall goes to a final four. Right. Like Pitt starts to get into the conversation and the national mix. Right. Villanova wins a national championship. And then UConn pretty much dominates the 1990s. Every team gets a taste of it right so like now you're just taking all that shit before now you're just throwing egos into it and so just the whole mentality the attitude everything around it was a completely different atmosphere right and so now you know obviously when the football school started to get mixed into it like the louisville fan base is kind of portable i guess you know you can they, they've never belonged to a conference i don't think for more than 12 years in their entire existence Right. So they're pretty portable fan base, but like nobody exists in USF and the Cincinnati fan base are a bunch of fucking chuds and like all of this stuff. Right. So like, yeah, I mean, that dynamic was was already starting to fade a little bit in the 2010s and into when the inevitable breakup happened with the shift now with the Midwestern schools. It's kind of funny, like there's a lot more of that Midwestern sensibility. I think, you know, Villanova fans were always kind of the they were the put together, calm, like mostly rational J yeah. Wright folks that they are now that they're not, they weren't, they were, they were a little annoying when the back in the eighties and nineties for a little while, but like yeah. for the most part, while they were rivals with Syracuse and UConn and Georgetown, they were kind of polite. Um, Georgetown was always, you know, th- that was a team you were always intimidated by, you know, yeah. that was a really competitive rivalry. There was physical games, like, you know, those teams, brought more than just a basketball team it was like a whole brand a whole vibe like a whole you know georgetown especially in the 80s and early 90s like was was a traveling fucking circus right and then syracuse was just annoying as shit right but i definitely think like with from a yukon perspective syracuse was always like the hate hate relationship providence is always the little brother right Georgetown was always the rock fight, right? You kicked the shit out of each other, but you kind of respected each other. And Villanova was just a friendly competition, but they're rivals, right? They're they're sort of there with you. Um, without Syracuse here and with Georgetown absolutely sucking, right? It's a different dynamic, I think, for UConn fans. Now, Providence, it's gotten a little bit better. I think they blew it, you know, not being able to kind of step into the vacuum in the way some of the other schools have. Um, but I think overall, there's a much more polite, cordialness to the conference now that 20 years ago that was not what this conference looked like and I think with us coming back (laughs) and you know be kind of coupled with the whole Dan Hurley thing I think that dynamic is is we're making it a little meaner again and um you know it's 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 getting a little of that old flavor so I think it's a, a little bit of the best of the old it's some of the best of the new and it's coming together it's still a work of progress kind of thing right but like it's a fun 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 conference to be a part of and i'm just excited to get back to new york city and, and see it i love that we'll chop up the biggest tournament in just a second but i'm interested what, what you have to hear about that well like did you have the old perspective and the new perspective i do think it is an interesting dynamic now because you look at the butlers the creightons the xaviers i'm gonna be completely honest i'm not trying to downplay ourselves at all or anything we've always wanted that seat at the big boy table and i think that a lot of these schools were kind of middling Big East schools. Nova was obviously really, really good, and Georgetown obviously has a lot of history. But let's be honest, like Louisville, Syracuse, a lot of like big programs, UConn, left the old Big East. You know what I mean? So I think this was a program or a conference trying to find its its place, and I think that that did kind of result in them kind of rooting for each other a little bit and trying to be like, hey, like let's all level up together, and you know, it'll help. It'll rise in tides. It'll help you know raise all ships. What do you think about the state of the Big East currently, kind of where it was in the past, and what do you think about you know where it is now, where it's going? I think the future is pretty bright. I'm really interested. I, I think we're kind of a nuclear bomb, and I'm not saying that as, as a UConn fan. I'm saying that for more of the fan base brings a lot of that old school Big East energy, 
Um, and you're already starting to see that. But from a competitiveness standpoint, um, it's kind of interesting. The, the, the conference is almost kind of two conferences right now. I feel like there's at least heading forward. I feel like that's what we're going to see where you sort of have that Northeast pot. You have <clears throat> Villanova, St. John's, Seton Hall, Providence, Yukon, to a lesser yep. extent, Georgetown. They've always kind of recruited more Baltimore, North Carolina. Sure. Um, but then you have more of that Midwestern pot where you have Creighton, you have you guys, you have Marquette, right? You got DePaul out there, Butler. Butler. Yep. Um, yeah, you're right. And, and I think from a recruiting standpoint in terms of like, what is it going to mean for the conference? I think the power dynamic has been largely driven by the fact that Syracuse and UConn left and to a lesser extent Pitt, right? And what that did um, was really open the door for Villanova to step through, right? Um, as being a Northeast program that can get guys to stay home to play other Northeast schools, play in the garden, be a thing. I'm not saying the only reason they became what they became was because we were gone. They've got a generationally good head coach and Jay Wright's pretty good at yeah. what he does. Um, they are arguably the best coached team in college basketball every year. They've earned their spot. If UConn was in their spot, same thing would have happened. Syracuse is in their spot. Same thing would have happened. But yeah. now with us back, you know, our recruiting <clears throat> is right. It's going to be right on par with theirs, if not better, yeah. um, because we have better facilities. We've got more of a budget behind us. You know, when you're talking state universities and institutions, there is a, a margin for error that we're going to have. You know, if we miss, you know, hiring a coach or something, you know, where, where that we have that other schools aren't going to have. We've got resources to spend that other schools don't. We have an alumni base that's going to fill up arenas that's just three times the size of everybody else's. Yes. It's going to throw their financial weight behind it the whole nine yards. So, like, I'm going to be interested to see how it sort of disrupts the current dynamic up here. Syracuse is fucking buried now. Like there's, they're, they're losing recruiting battle after recruiting battle. That's probably the most unathletic Syracuse team I've ever seen this year. It's, um, it's, it's really bad. And Pitt, same thing, right? It's a hard sell to get guys in the Northeast to want to go to fucking Syracuse, first of all, and then fly out of Syracuse to go down to the Confederacy and play in a fucking swamp in front of some fucking boat shoes yep. wearing freak show down at Wake Forest. Like it's not, and then go play at a conference tournament in some building where nobody wants you there. Right. The whole Big East brand, the whole thing, like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't ha have the hooks that it did, but like all these AAU coaches up here, they played in the Big East, all these high school coaches, all these parents, this is what they grew up with. So like, this is, you know, while UConn's, you know, tradition is a little bit in the rear view, right? Um, it's still very much there. And you have these people chipping away at these kids. So what kind of happened is obviously, you know, we had Villanova step into that power vacuum, but so did Seton Hall a little bit. All right. I'd say Seton Hall would probably be the biggest benefactor in terms of the team that I'd say from where they were in the 2010s to now took the biggest step forward, right? I'm going to be interested, especially with Hurley being a Jersey guy, like can Willard go really go head to head with Hurley yeah. for those Northern Jersey guys, right? Providence has already seen their recruiting drop off like a rock. They've had a lot of, you know, they've had a lot of luck this year. They've got yeah. a lot of old guys. They better be good, right? Yeah. With, with the, the age of players that they have, but like there's not a lot coming behind it, you know? So how are they going to do it? St. John's hasn't really figured it out they're firing a coach every 15 seconds and it's hard to build continuity and recruiting relationships like that so it's going to be difficult for them so I think on sort of this eastern pod I think us and Villanova are going to be very hard to kind of yeah. unseat year after year the question mark for me is what does the power dynamic start to look like on the western side of the conference who's the team that starts to to rise up and become that kind of standard bearer out there and look to be honest with you you know you could make a case for everybody but butler i think um in the sense that you know you look at creighton i would argue besides villanova the best coach team in the big east i mean mcdermott has a kind of guy that he goes after and looks for and yep. i mean that team's going to be terrified the next couple of years with the freshman yep. guys that they had this year. Yeah. There's interesting. Okay. 
I love Shaka Smart Marquette. I think that's a great fit. I think it's a great marriage. I think that's the kind of school a guy like Shaka can be. Shaka's not a big state school guy. Like, you know, you go down to Texas, you know, you're an African-American guy. The first thing they're looking to do is fire you the first time you make a mistake. So like, you know, being back up North, being in Milwaukee, being at a school like Marquette, I think a much better fit for him. I, I'm really fascinated to see what happens with DePaul because being in Chicago, you could legit build up a, a top 35 ish program, just skimming the top three star guys off the top, like get one, four star, one, five star guy a year, but like three star guys that are a little bit under the radar. And all of a sudden you start to look pretty scary and Stubbs can recruit, man. Like getting guys. He, he's getting guys now. I mean, they got yeah. a five and a four coming in the world. Like he'll yeah. get guys and they play fucking hard, man. They're not good, but like they play hard and yeah. stick around in games. They shouldn't because the efforts there and, yep. you know, sign up a good coach is a coach that gets guys to play like that. Right. That they outkick their coverage. Um, and then there's you guys, you know, who I think in terms of like, when I think back of schools that have yet to really fuck up a coaching hire, you guys are probably at the top of that list. I mean, your athletic department's been very good at finding guys that, that have success long-term and short-term. You know, I don't think you guys are the sexiest job on planet Earth. You know, I think, like, when you look at uh, – uh, so you, you guys might get passed over for some Power 5 conference jobs, but, like, as a place where you can really kind of, you know, find a good young up-and-coming coach, get him there, install him, have him have success, and then maybe be able to keep him long-term. Like yep. Xavier's that kind of no man's land job. And you guys have great facilities uh, and the whole nine yards. So what I'm going to be most interested to see with the dynamic is like, who's going to be the Godzilla of the West, right? Like yep. Creighton fans have got a little edge to them sort of subtly I've noticed. And like good. last few years, Creighton's really come on. Yeah. You know, and like that, that they're going to be, and they can recruit out of St. Louis too. You know, people forget yep. St. Louis, another hotbed. So like yeah. just brings a very different dynamic, I think to the whole conference that makes it interesting. Like I think the best is really yet to come, you know, especially when what we see, what happens with the big 12, you know, how is that going to be able to hold itself together? Yep. You know, Memphis is going to go completely down the shitter. Now they're stuck in the American. Yeah. Like there's, there's less competition it. out that way. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. I'm going to be really interested to see kind of, what the dynamic looks like. And then who knows what gets added. I mean, I do, I, I am definitely one of those guys, like you either add Gonzaga or you don't add anybody right now. Um, you know, I just don't see anybody adding anything that we don't already have, but I think inevitably they're going to have to start looking at some teams as, as maybe shoring up the flanks. And, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see like what happens if they bring in another football school, like what happens if they bring in another state school, Right. Like those are those are schools that can can really move the needle in a lot of ways that the private schools can't. So I think the story is yet to be told. I think UConn coming in is a big transition um, for the conference in a lot of ways, not just in terms of the dynamic with the fan bases, but like in terms of, you know, what sort of the, the, the pecking order and the power structure is going to look like in the league. Yeah, definitely a cock in the hen house kind of vibe. Um, and I'm totally with you on that. I, I tend to agree on almost everything you just said. I think Creighton's been really good. It stinks from a Xavier perspective. I think right, you guys kind of missed us right at the tail end of – you guys came in right at the beginning of us rebuilding. Uh, right before that, I mean, we had won the Big East Conference a year prior. Um, shouts to Providence right now on their bullshit. You know, we had a one-seed in the tournament, two-seed in the tournament. We were really coming on. I felt like we were right below Nova. You know, look at all the records and stuff. We were, you know, second in pretty much every metric. Um, so it's 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 been tough the last couple of years for us, but we'll see about Steel. Um, but anyway, kind of – that was an interesting discussion. I thought you did a really good job there. Uh, let's kind of – let's go into the Big East Tournament. It's Big East Tournament week, obviously. What is the sell? I know you're going to be transporting up there. What's the sell for people that haven't been? I know there are a lot of Xavier fans that haven't been yet. A lot of just Big East Tournament fans that haven't been. What's What's the sell? Why do you got to be there? Well, I mean, it's, it's the garden, it's March bas it's March basketball. And I think this year, what's kind of interesting is again, that UConn dynamic is killer. You know what I mean? Like I think the fan base is for all the teams um, are in just a little bit of a different spot. And we're also in a league where the conference is fucking chaos this year. Like yeah. you can't trust anybody. 
in this conference this year. Like, yeah, I mean, I think Villanova is solidly probably the best, most dependable team, but they've fucking shit all over themselves a couple times this year and don't always show up to the guard. And it's kind of a time honored Villanova tradition. Uh, you get one or the other with them there. Yeah. Um, so like, I, I don't know what could happen. I mean, you know, I know you guys are down in the shitter right now, but like, you played Providence twice. I mean, you were a leaky ceiling and some fucking shenanigans away from sweeping them. Yeah. I mean, like, honest to goodness, a couple plays go a different way. You know, you guys sweep yeah. them and they're the two seed and it's a completely different reshuffle of everything. And everybody's feeling very different about where you guys are at right now. Um, and because what's really going to be fascinating to me, and I think one of the kind of under under discussed topics uh, of the year is how shitty every team is on the road. I am going <laughs> to yeah. be really interested to see like how that dynamic plays out at a neutral site, because yeah. I feel like the crowd that shows up and shows out for their school, that's, that could be, it could, I, I, the fan bases this year could be like a legit factor. You know, the yeah. more you can make it kind of feel like a home game, the better. I mean, obviously I think for us in Providence, that's going to be, a pretty significant advantage. Well, I mean, we'll see with the Providence fans. Sometimes they show out, sometimes they don't. I have a feeling they're going to be there this year. But, I mean, you know, UConn's going to be there. I mean, this this fan base has been waiting to go to this for a long time. This is probably the biggest yeah. week for our fan base since the 2014 national title. It, what what gets be- me excited is yeah. – um, so what gets me excited about uh, having the UConn fan base there is – we have a potential second round matchup with Providence and we know that we're going to have the Xavier fans there and the UConn fans who want to bully Providence fans. So it'll be more like well, a home, that, home court advantage. That's the funniest part. Like people forget like all these UConn fans went out and bought session two tickets because oh, up until yesterday, we, we were, we were in the afternoon game, right. With Providence. So all these UConn fans been talking about it today. Like, do I sell the tickets? <laughs> I saw, I saw that. Or do I go in and be a fucking douchebag? And it was actually pretty funny. So I'm in a group chat with like Mary and a bunch of, and Natch and a couple other guys, Holy Mania. And uh, so Mary, we cyber bullied Mary into going to the, to the Big East tournament. She wasn't, she wasn't going to do it. And we fucking guilt tripped her publicly. Abby dunked all over her publicly it was bad. So she's going and now she's going early. So now she just tweets the other day in our group chat. She's like, Oh, well, you know, now that we're in the night game, uh, maybe I'll get some work done while I'm down in New York before the game at night and I'll get done at like three o'clock. And, um, I said something about having session two tickets, right. For the, for the early session. And she goes, wait, you've got an extra seat for the Providence game. And I'm like, yep. She goes, fuck. Like, and so that'd be, that's what it's like. Everybody, I, I want to be there. If they get fucking bombed out by Xavier, I'm going to be a muskie for, for fucking two hours, taking a shit in their Cheerios. Um, <laughs> if they get knocked out, cause that team, if that fan base gets knocked out, can you imagine first round first game of the, the first game of the tournament, they get bounced would be the funniest shit ever. And, it, and it's kind of would be poetic if it was you guys who have been, sucking shit all season and and in some respects to like no fault of your own like i'd say you guys have been a little bit of the anti-providence now i will also say this about this year's edition of the xavier musketeers you guys have an amazingly dumb basketball team yes poor decisions (laughs) are off the charts um it was funny watching you guys like i hadn't you guys were the one team i kind of hadn't watched a lot of and then i got I just over D overdosed on Xavier basketball for about three weeks. Cause it was the Providence game. And we had the home and home with you guys. And I felt like we yeah. saw you every 15 seconds. Right. And um, I couldn't believe like just the sheer number of like terrible decisions or like self-inflicted broken plays. Yeah. Like just going off script. Like, I don't know what Travis Steele is supposed to do. Like, what is he supposed to like call a timeout and spank somebody? Like, that's not the play, guys. Like, I don't know what fans are mad about. Like, that's not the plays. Like, that's, what, what do you want them to do? Like, fucking throw chairs at them? Like, bench them and play the fucking, 
walk-ons that's what you want you want to go get your you want to lose by 20 now you want to lose by 35 like like at a point you know like there's a basketball fan factory complaint right like i don't like the rotations that he's running like he needs to hold players more accountable he needs to do this he needs to do that like it's the same thing like if i'm in xavier spaces you can take your whole spaces you can come over to uconn spaces you can hear the same shit about dan early for absolutely free and you can go over to fucking seat hall and they're all fucking complaining about the same shit over there. And like anywhere, you can go to fucking SEC or Duke or so they're all complaining about the same shit. Like, guys, I don't know what to tell you, but like Isaiah Whaley taking corner threes isn't in the playbook. It's not in the playbook. So like when he does it, like it's that Dan Hurley didn't tell Andre Jackson the other night to start hooking up threes with 35 seconds left against Creighton. That was the play. Andre just did that. I don't know why, because he's fucking a sophomore. He's 18 years old. He's fucking 18, dumb. They don't, they don't know what the fuck they're supposed to be doing. He's not dumb. He's a smart kid. But, like, he's, you know, the, they're college basketball players. Like, we just talked about before the show about referees and the game moving too fast. Well, guess what also moves too fast for? College basketball players. And that's why they're college players and not fucking professional players, right? Because they're 18 years old your brain isn't even fully formed at that age and you're having to make like split second decisions with 17 things happening and a fucking playbook the size of your entire class curriculum wedged into your head and you're tired and getting yelled at by some guy and a fucking with corn coming out of his overalls so like yeah they're gonna make stupid decisions now again then like on the mind and like coach can yell at him he can scream at him spit at him maybe he'll shoot him maybe we could just shoot the fucking kid on the sideline and that'll teach him but like well, other than that, what are you going to fucking do? That's what they're going to do. So, like, you know, to me at the end of the day, like, you guys have had a combination of some fucking retarded basketball. You guys have had some bad luck. And But what's funny about that team, there's always a team every year. Every year in this stupid fucking tournament, there's a team that can't get out of its own way all year that just kind of figures – we were that in 2011 – <laughs> we we went we beat like fucking like five or six top 25 teams and then lost like nine out of ten like right in the middle of the season just decide to fucking shit all over ourselves and then we're like oh well i guess we'll just win five games in five days and then sweep through the ncaa tournament and beat every top ranked team in the fucking country and go win the national title i don't know seems like, like a pretty cool idea if you ask me it would be a great idea if it just but, worked that way. But, like, I don't know what to say to people. But you're totally right. And this fan base is so pissed the fuck off because this was always a, fan, a a team that did more with less. I mean, in the 2000s, you know, we had all these three-star borderline guys, and we would go to these Elite Eights and go to these Sweet 16s and have these crazy runs that we really didn't have any business doing. We kind of got lucky a little bit. And we had good teams. But, like, now you're getting four stars. We're legitimately most seasons having top 20, top 15 recruiting classes. You look at these Big East rosters, look at the recruiting classes, I promise you Xavier is going to be third or fourth as, as, far, as far as talent is concerned. It's going to be Nova and UConn, and then it's Xavier, and then, uh, then, then it's kind of up in the air. Creighton's doing okay in recruiting. But Xavier's recruiting as well as any team in the conference. You know, Nova and UConn are in their own little league. But I think we're right there in our own little league other than those two. Um, so, and you're just, just shit in the bed, you know what I mean, with these rosters. You know, and, and I think you look at this team, and they're, they're just capable of a lot more. But you said it's just dumb bullshit, but it's 18, 22-year-olds. They're going to be fucking volatile. It's, they're going to do some dumb shit. Um, but I think Xavier is a scary team, if, especially if you see them get hot, like you said with UConn. And this conference can be brutal because it's like once you start kind of sucking, there's blood in the water and all these teams are good, even DePaul. Like there's no night off. The only night off in the league is Georgetown, which we just beat by 22 after losing like seven of our last eight. We beat Georgetown by 22. So you get in the state where you have no confidence, you're just getting your doors blown off and it's just hard to get back on the rails. But you win one, you see the shots fall a little bit, and it's a pretty, pretty talented roster. They could go on a run. And especially, too, if we beat Butler, Sharks in the water against Providence, UConn fans going crazy, absolute electric environment. It's going to be funny, man. Like, there's going to be a whole contingent of people up in the rafters and all the UConn cheap seats that are going to be there. They're going going to that game. And we're already printing up the lyrics to Taylor Swift to serenade (laughs) these fucking clowns out of their fucking arena. And I'm just really glad that they didn't stick the two fan bases like that that worked out the way. It's just... It's bad, but there's also a part of me that feels like Providence and UConn is like kind of the main event. It feels like a like a year long WWE storyline, right? <laughs> that just has one way to go. It's like the Macho Man and and Randy and Hulk Hogan, yep. you know, like 
They just yeah. have this like tag team and they split apart, right? And it slowly everything falls apart and it all builds to a crescendo at WrestleMania, yeah. right? Like it definitely has that fan dynamic where it feels like these two teams should play each other, which of yeah. course means it's going to be something soulless like Creighton versus fucking Villanova or something in the final that right. nobody wants to see. But right. like, yeah, I, I'm glad we're not on that side of the bracket with them because fucking Saturday night, oh my God. Oh, it would have been that early, that early semifinal would have just been something else. And I'm kind of a little bummed because we would have beat the brakes off of them. But like it's it's um yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting dynamic, but like I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all to to see anybody going around. I mean, Creighton's I'm less in on Creighton without Nemhart. Um, but you know, to get to get you your point though, like here's the tough thing about this league. The scouting's really good. Like it's really good. I mean, we've seen UConn kind of invent themselves and reinvent themselves a little bit two or three times um because there's a scouting report like it happens you know and yeah it's on coaches to try to adjust to it but like you know if your personnel is not going to go out there and execute to a certain extent like that's the thing and what you see a lot of teams try to do is Xavier you know it kind of traditional knowledge when you have a team as athletic as you guys do like speed you know you don't want to get sped up with them this is actually an athletic team you want to speed up because they make bad decisions. Exactly. You know? So when they start to do that, that's, there's just that natural little, I mean, Kunkel, man, you just don't know. I don't know, man. You don't, you don't know what he's going to do when he's got the basketball. It could be, I don't know. So like, it's, it, it just sort of is what it is. And look, I mean, with a conference that's been as competitive and I think is even as it's been this year, um, that is definitely um, a team had to take the shit end of the stick, yep. you know, and that sort of car crash in the middle. That was you guys this year, you know, and um, I think it easily could have been Seton Hall because the wheels were starting to come off of that one in a hurry. I think they're much better than, than what their seat is. Oh, you know, yeah. Creighton was much better than anybody thought. Marquette was much better than anybody thought. St. John's was much worse than we all thought, but then yeah. – when they figure it out and get going downhill and they're working, like they play good defense, man. And, and that'll keep them yep. around in games. Um, and they've had some bad luck this year too. So like there just isn't, you know, I think Butler, DePaul and Georgetown are definitely the bottom of the conference. DePaul's tough because they just play you tough. Like I wouldn't want to yep. play them on day one of this tournament. Cause that's a tiring game, man. Like they're going to make you work. Sure. You'll probably beat them. But, like, they're going to make you work for 40 minutes, and you're going to be tired going to the next game, having to play a team full strength, right? And um, Butler, and, Butler and Georgetown, to me, are the two teams I'm just like, eh. I don't no question. Know. But, like, the Xavier fan base joke has been, like, we don't want to play DePaul in the biggest tournament. Like, because they kept it afloat without JFL, who's now dropping 30 every other fucking game. They kept he it could. afloat without him, and he's a fucking stud. So we've been saying, like, dude, well, we don't want to fucking play the ball. You know what Nobody I mean? Like, to play the ball. If, that, on the first day of the tournament, in a, in a four-day tournament, if that's the, yeah. the opponent year one, it's it, it, uh, day one, that's – it's no good. And like I said, even even if – you're probably going to beat them, right? Probably. But, like, it's a tough 40 minutes. It's, a, it's a much tougher 40 minutes than Georgetown or Butler, who take entire hunks of games just off, Absolutely. right? So, like – I mean, and that's been the remarkable thing about watching Georgetown this year is how they can compete for 10 minutes. <clears throat> then you look up in three minutes and it's 20, 25 point deficit. Yes, literally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, sort of interesting dynamic to see how it all kind of shakes out. I think getting a buy is big, um, but I'm going to be interested to see how you guys do because, you know, Butler, I think is a reasonable first round game, but then you got Providence who hasn't played nine days. I like that one. I, I can't lie. I like that one. Uh, like they haven't played in nine days. Like you guys will be a little tired, but man, they're going to have some rust. And that's the team that I'm not so sure I want to want to be rusty with the way they've, <laughs> the way they've played this year. So that's going to be an interesting one. I'd be interested to see them in a, in a, you know, if they do get through you guys in a rubber match with, with Marquette would be interesting. Yep. Um, a lot of tough teams just flat out have outplayed them this year, but it's going to be an interesting dynamic, man. It really is. It's going to be great. And like you said, it's a fucking shit show. Like all these fucking shows are going to say, I like this team. I like that team. 
they're gonna lose on day one you know what i mean it's just gonna be a fucking shit show start to finish and i fucking love it okay this is my last question for you and like because i've been thinking about this what the fuck is georgetown gonna do i don't know um it's a mess it's a different situation all the so there's a lot going on with that right so this isn't just another coach that you fire i mean this is the greatest player in the conference's history arguably the most important probably the most well-known product ever right um and at that school he's their most famous alum period like this isn't just another guy that we're trying to come to a separation agreement with you know what i mean like it's just not how that works so i'm a little torn on this to be honest with you because on on one hand like there's a part of me that feels awful for ewing because he you know unlike some of these other alums where i feel like they're just going back trying to be glory hounds like i feel like patrick really wants to be there and the way he went about getting that job he took the long way he could have just gotten a job right walked in and been like i'm fucking patrick ewing here's my hammer cock give me what i want and they would have given it to him right but he went he was an assistant and he worked his way up the stairs and he did things the right way and 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 got you know, uh, into that spot, you know, and, and to see it not work out for him is tough. So the part of me that's selling on Patrick, and I think of the huge red flags, um, you know, or just the sheer number of guys leaving, right? Like he, recruiting hasn't been an issue for him. He can recruit. Like the Matumbo kid is going to be very good. Amina Muhammad is going to be a nightmare. Um, there's some young guys there. But like they're playing guys in the starting lineup that would be like eighth, ninth, and tenth guys in the rest of the conference right now. Like they're just they're talented. They're not ready to compete. Uh, but he's lost so many guys, and like that's to me a big red flag because that's a culture issue more than anything. And like, can you relate to these kids? Like kids today are different, man. Like you know, I know everybody wants to be Tommy Toughnuts on the internet. Well, you gotta show them accountability. I mean, UConn fans do it all the time. It's always you know, Jim Calhoun calling a timeout five seconds in the game and benching a guy for a walk on and teach him a lesson. doesn't work like that anymore. Like you don't have the leverage over the kids to do whatever the fuck you want. And they don't respond to that shit. They just shut down. You know what I mean? And so the other thing is too, there's the college versus pro dynamic, right? Like as a professional, um, you know, things are just sort of expected, right? Like, you know, we had that kind of an issue with, with Kevin Ollie where, you know, are you being more of a father mentor coach figure to them? Or are you being like the old vet showing the young guys the ropes on the road kind of dynamic? You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. Ollie was definitely more of a ladder, right? When these are, <laughs> right. these are fucking kids, man, like they need guidance and mentoring they can't be i'm interested to see what that dynamic is like with patrick i don't know if i get that vibe off of him but right that could be a that could be an issue there too and he's also a guy that like you got to understand man these guys that are as good as him that mentally they're not built like us right right like they they don't accept mediocrity they don't have patience for guys figuring shit out like you do it you do it at a high level and you do it a hundred percent all the time and college kids aren't always capable of doing that that's yeah. the problem so there's that dynamic mixed in the other half of me says you know i i think it's going to be interesting to see what happens once the season's over early on with the players yeah. i don't think matumbo's leaving i don't think he'll lose him uh, him and dikembe they're too tied you know to the institution i don't see that happening if those two him and muhammad stay I'm going to be interested. He's got some more guys coming in, man. He's got recruits yeah. on the way. So like, they're not going to be good next year either. They're going to be pretty bad. They'll probably be the worst team in the conference again next year. But like, if he can keep those guys, you know, now what does it start to look like? Because even early on, some coaches come in and they can't, they don't know their ass from their head. You know what I mean? Like it takes some time to settle in and figure out, get like the right people. It's not just a matter of getting talent. It's getting, the right talent to work at your program. Like I remember when I was in baseball, you know, we used to talk about, you know, in the summer college game, um, you know, I remember one year we had some, some guys from Texas, uh, university of Texas. And, you know, we had three players from there. One of them's one of the best players I've ever had in my life. 
Um, unbelievable athlete, great player, great kid. Another kid was like standard issue, what you get, like rising sophomore throws hard. Like when it's good, it's great. When it's bad, it's terrible. And then another kid kind of fighting for a scholarship. And I remember sitting there talking to our coach after the season and saying like, let's be honest here. So what you're saying is we're going to recruit more of this kind of kid. So this kid plays in a 7,000 seat stadium uh, with air conditioned locker room with TVs. He has a dining hall and a nutrition center all to him. He has more gear than he has clothes. Um, there's team pontoon boats to take them out for team activities. He's on an ESPN branded network three months out of the year. That's all about him, right? Roger Clemens is just chilling in the locker room and his dormitory is a glass penthouse that overlooks the fastest growing real estate market in the United States. So we're going to take that guy uh, and fly him out of conservative Texas and, and fucking to the heart of Western Massachusetts and live in some dork's basement for the summer and just be cool with that. Like that's not real life. Like as talented as he is, right? Like that kid, even when he says he's cool, right? Yep. He's not cool. So like, you know, I think sometimes in a program, it takes a while to figure out like, what's the guy that's going to work with me and what's the guy that's going to work with me here. And just in general, and this kind of ties into the Travis Steele shit. Like I think, the new market inefficiency now in college basketball is canning coaches too early, right? Yeah. Because a couple, a season or two goes sideways and you're not continuing to climb up because if you look at the best of the best out there right now, Jay Wright leveled off a lot. It wasn't great for a couple of years down at Villanova. Scott drew at Baylor has been there since 2003. They weren't cutting down nets in 2007, man. Like they stunk, stunk hard. Right. Like, and so, yeah. And it's, a, and it's a lot of these coaches. It's not like everybody just starts moving up and they go to the next job. Blah, 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 blah. Like right. that's, that's not how this shit works. Like sometimes you have to give guys, you know, the runway to figure some shit out and you're going to miss on guys every now and then. And what you can't have happen is like miss ba missing badly on like three recruiting classes in a row. Now we're starting to identify a problem, right. And a continuing continual issue. Um, but like for, for Patrick, like, that's what it comes down to me, you know, is can he retain these guys? Right. They also, here's the other thing. They also just extended it after last year. So now this isn't just a small, like he was down to a year or two on his contract. Now we don't know how many years it is, but I'll guarantee you it's probably another three years on the low, on the low end. So that's four years worth of buyout at a private school that doesn't draw a dick in anything else to try and pay off. Yeah. Right. So like, and, and the alumni that you would normally go to, to pay off that kind of a coaching buyout is the guy in the job. So like, you know, you, it's a fucking weird thing. So like, if they give him an extra year, I feel like I'm cool with it. Like I get it. I think like he, he, he could get another year if they decide that, you know, no, we can't do this, then yeah, I mean, I get it. You can't be at Georgetown and fucking go winless in the Big East. Like, I don't care how much of a rebuild you do. But then the, the last dynamic of that, and I'll shut up about it, is the fact that, like, you know, um, the best rebuilds are the deepest rebuilds where you rip shit down to the studs, you know? And the tough thing about rebuilding a program in this conference is it's you know people think because you're a brand name program and UConn fans are the same fucking way out of their minds we lucked into two generational coaches within two years of each other like that's not normal even in football I mean we stink now but like we went from a fucking division one double a team to a BCS team in like 10 years like that's not normal either so like our fan base's like perception of like how this shit works is not in reality and that's a lot of other fan bases too where they just think the brand name okay well in four years once we have a cycle through boom final four daddy like that's just not that, that that's not how this shit works right like there's a lot of trial and error that goes into it and the other thing that's a di tough dynamic with it is like you're going to get guys that are going to leave holes right so like imagine UConn with James Booknight this year like probably a final four contender, but like we're recruiting at that level. So we're going to have guys 
that leave early and create unanticipated or somewhat anticipated holes that you have to patch in less than desirable circumstances, right? Like next year, it's not looking like RJ Cole's coming back. So who the fuck is going to be handling the point? I don't know. Yeah, we could go out and get a five-star transfer from fucking Kentucky, but like now you've got to upload an entire offense into the fucking point guard. Like right. that's not, and it could be a rough year for him year one. I mean, we've seen Texas this year really struggle with that shit. So like my point being that like usually even at the best brand name Big East, you know, programs, your rebuild is never going to be four to five years. You're really looking at like six, maybe seven, because you got to go through a cycle or two to kind of keep rolling those dice, to keep getting the talent in there, to finally come up Yahtzee, you know, when it's time to kind of make a run in the tournament. Yeah, The, the amount I of think, times I've heard yeah. the, ter- the the phrase, we are Xavier. This is unacceptable. Yeah. Like, it, it, it like, blows my mind. Like, we are, yet we're not a one seed again in four years. We're Xavier. We're not going to be. Yeah, that's not reality. I, I think you hit it on the head with both words. Like, to wrap up Georgetown, like, I'm totally with you. It's Patrick Ewing. Like, you can't just that's – that's a really tough decision. I think you said it, too. I think they have some solid pieces coming back, too. So, I think, you, like you said, they come back next year. You make some strides. I think that you can make that work. Uh, it's just weird, though. You talk about when the new Big East formed and Villanova kind of taking over. I remember looking at the real estate. You know, we come over, and, you know, I'm looking at these teams around us, and I'm like, Georgetown might take this league over. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they were primed to take this league – by the by the dick you know what i mean and just completely run this entire league i thought it was gonna be them in nova and just to see them where they are right now you know what seven eight nine it's weird it's it's It's, weird it's fucking weird man and you know but that's i I also don't think okay so say you lose you know ewing's out the door i don't think they're gonna have a very hard time rebuilding that um and and i think they got a shot because they're not really living in in philly in new york they live in Baltimore and DC. That's, that's where they go get their guys. And they kind of have, that's why they've always kind of, you know, at least in the past, were pretty good. I mean, they come up for some guys. Don't get me wrong. Like they keep up the Boston swipe Patrick Ewing right the fuck out from the Eagles. Right. But like, you know, um, <clears throat> for the most part, they've always kind of had their own little interesting recruiting hovel there. So yeah. I don't think it'll be, you know, difficult for them to kind of, get back in the mix but you know it's it's tough to get out i know it because we just did it you get out of that cult of personality with a wild wildly successful head coach you know where i mean you go up to umass right now there's still dudes running around in coach calipari land right lou Rowe lives in a fucking booster's house right now he hasn't played there in 30 years he's still in the fucking house like it's a cult of personality up there. And he comes back and they all come out of the fucking floorboards, the priest that he had, and they all, they all sit there and gargle his balls. And like, you know, we dealt with that a little bit at UConn where you go from Jim Calhoun to, you know, Kevin Ollie yep. trying to keep it in the family, so to speak. Yep. And sometimes what you need is just a totally different dynamic change. And like, we talked a lot about this year where everybody's like, Oh, UConn's back. Well, not really like that. UConn, that UConn's dead and buried. You know, it was a great UConn. I really enjoyed those years, but like the fan base is different now and it's taken on sort of a little bit of a different persona. Um, and it's a new time for the program. It's a new actual new chapter. And I think sometimes programs need to do that, you know, and maybe for Georgetown ripping the John Thompson roots out yep. is what they've got to get past to finally get back to yep. where they want to be. Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting story, and uh, I'm glad I'm not in their shoes, to be completely honest with you, even though they're sitting on a gold mine. But we'll kind of get into some steel stuff. I'm interested in your perspective here, and then we'll let's, let's get the hell out of here. But I think you were kind of hitting this on the head, and, and we kind of feel the same way. So we've had six coaches in the last, you know, 25, 30 years, one losing season. I mean, that you hit the. I think you hit the complete jackpot when you look at this, you know, our coaching changes and the way our programs unfolded over the last 30 years. Xavier was a nothing program in 1980 a literally a nothing program a modern day evansville you know and i don't think any program has risen as quickly as we have other than maybe gonzaga you know what i mean but even they were okay back then we literally went from nothing to like where we are and we're not even you know we're not like the best job in the world or anything like that but i think we've risen to where you can you know expect to be top 30 top 40 you know in good years in the top 20 top 15 but Mm -hmm. it's it's been tough with this fan base because like you said 
you know, we came off a of one seed, first time we ever got a one seed. And then the next year, you know, it's Travis Steele and it's been a tough, tough stretch. But like you said, I think every fan base, you know, inflates what the fuck they think they are. And yeah, we've, we've had a good run, you know, but, but we're not Duke. This isn't, this isn't one of those schools where it's just, it's Louisville. We're going to throw $4 million at a coach. So I'm interested to see, you know, where you would stand as a neutral third party, you know, on where we stand and maybe, you know, what you would advise, you know, or where you would be thinking if you were a Xavier fan right now. I kind of like to see him get another year. Yep. You know, I, I think, look, I mean, here's the thing. Like the one thing I feel like when I think of Xavier basketball, in a funny way, you guys are like a nouveau temple. Like what temple was a lot in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, where just make it a tournament, man. Like every year they're going to be good. Like there's just, you know, are there a lot of years where they're going to be a final four contender? Probably not. Right. But like, Every team they put out on the floor has probably got a decent chance, depending on the draw, to get to a Sweet 16, right? Sure. Like, they got a chance to be a second weekend team pretty consistently, right? That's what I've always sort of have seen as, as sort of their brand, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, not making a tournament for three or four years is an ego blow, you know? And um, that's a tough one to swallow. You know, and, and I do think there is a level of like, okay, well, we have to kind of uphold some standards. Um, but, you know, I'll say this on the flip side, though, too. Like, you know, worst comes to worst, steel goes. Like, you know, you got a little bit of a rebuilding. Like, you're in the Big East now. You're not in the, the fucking Atlantic 10 or wherever the fuck you are, right? Like, your margin for error, you're only going to suck so bad. Like, you really are. You're <laughs> Like, it's really only possible to suck so bad. So, like, you know, even if they need to take an extra couple of, you know, whatever it so happens to be to, to, to kind of turn the shit, the tide, um, you know, that that's your worst case scenario. Like, people freaking out, that's kind of dumb, right? Um, the other thing I think makes it interesting, the dynamic so fucking interesting with the Travis Steele stuff right now is, is not just Chris Mack, but also Sean Miller are just, <sighs> floating out there doing yeah. nothing Pat Mata's not doing anything either like I, all like just the all the ghosts of Christmas past are out there just like it, and it makes it fucking worse it yeah. really makes it fucking worse so like I don't know man like it's it's there's a lot of obviously fan pressure there too and and you have that whole dynamic um I would say though like if if steel if they, if this happens again, you know, where they get off to a good start uh, and then end up falling apart again at the end of the season next year, that's probably going to yeah. be it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you can go three years and be essentially the same thing all three years and, and get away with that. Um, okay. I don't think that's happening, but I kind of think he should also have another year because you guys have pieces. All right, you have some pieces. You got some recruits coming in. Um, what does it look like for you guys next year overall? Like, who are the big ones? You're losing Scruggs. Should be pretty good again. I mean, you, you lose Scruggs, you lose Johnson, but you return everything else. You return Freeman, you return Colby Jones, Dewan Odom. There's a shit ton of depth on this roster. Yeah, I mean, that's um, – and then, and then you have a top 15 recruiting class coming in. Um, so, you're, the talent is still – I mean, the talent level is better now than it was under Mac. to be completely honest. Mac had a generational player in Trayvon Blewett, and J.P. McCure is a top 20 player all time. But, yeah. overall, the talent level was better than under Mac. Yeah. And so, look, I mean, you know, um, yeah, I, I don't understand then why you wouldn't give him another year. I agree. You know, especially with a caliber recruiting class like that coming back and all the pieces that you have coming back into the fold. Right. Is there anybody that's kind of worried about him, anybody transferring or piecing out? Haven't heard anything yet. And that's an interesting dynamic, too, is we haven't been that good. But, like, everything from the locker room is solid. Like, the guys all sound solid. The guys love playing for him. Fuck, Scruggs came back for a fifth fucking year. It can't be that bad. Um I mean, it's, it sounds like they're all pretty happy and having a good time. So I think Fremantle is the big question right now, but he hasn't fit this roster at all. So part of us feel like yeah, that might be addition by subtraction, although he's kind of a fucking air. The, the yeah, big thing all, is, go ahead. Um, like, if anybody does transfer, we're going to lose zero key pieces to the transfer portal. Like, um, like we, we, we've seen, we've seen Fremantle. I mean, he's a, 
very low IQ, the hit or miss player. His he can't guard a traffic cone, and sometimes his offense doesn't make up for his defense. So losing losing him would hurt in a sense. Like he's a very talented player, but it wouldn't be the worst thing. But I also don't think he's leaving. I'd very much rather have him come back than leave. Yeah, um, I don't think he's. Leaving. The only two that I would feel like have a good chance of leaving are Deontay Miles and Kiki Tandy. So. Ooh, I haven't played more than five minutes a game all season. Yeah, so so we, we're not, there's no real concern of losing a key piece other than the guys. Yeah. Johnson and Scrubs. Yeah, this year's been a rough year for freshmen and first-year players. Nobody's <laughs> playing shit this year. All, all and it's going to be an interesting conference next year when a bunch of guys that didn't play for Dick are fucking booting balls in the third row <laughs> uh, for the first half of the season. But, yeah, right. and that's the other dynamic, too, like – you know, with these young guys, and that's every sport right now. I mean, college sports in general are, are old. Obviously, none of our – it's been a big topic of conversation here is, is, yep. is our freshman not playing hardly at all. Yep. Um, but it's going to be what it's going to be, man. Like, you know, it, it, it is what it is right now. But, yeah, I mean, given what you guys have come back, coming back, I, I can't imagine they wouldn't give him another year because it sounds like you'll have everybody back. And, like, you know, you get guys like Fremantle, you know, Fremantle kind of reminds me of the Josh Carlton situation where like Josh yeah. is a great kid did not have to stick it out for two years. But if there was a kid on that roster, when Hurley came in that I was like, Oh man, he is going to get cooked. It was, it was Josh because his game doesn't fit early style. Like Hurley likes rim running bigs guys that can get up and down the floor quick cover space, long wingspan, you know, dunk the ball. Josh is your like your your standard issue back to the basket big man, you know, like clunky, but you know, strong. Um, you know, not sure of himself at all, but like a guy that now in that Houston system, incredible fit, great place for him to be, you know, and he's had an incredible year, you know. Um, and sometimes like when you get a situation like you have with Fremantle, like it's nobody's fault, you know, it's just not a fit. So you know, you kind of got to move on and, and, and figure that out. But it sounds like you guys got a lot coming back next year. So I'm not so sure I'd be pulling the, pulling the ripcord yet. <laughs> I sure I sure wouldn't. But you got all these old heads, and yeah, it just is what it is. And, and, and it seems like always that the critics are going to be the loudest ones. You know, the boneheads are going to be the loudest ones. You see them everywhere. Um, but, but that's aside from our little sad bullshit story. I bet you couldn't be more excited. UConn is in fantastic shape. I, I love your guys' roster top to bottom, but I think you guys are primed for a good run too and good run in the NCAA tournament. And uh, we appreciate the shit out of you for coming on. Yeah, no sweat. Thanks for having me. We're um, It's going to be a fun weekend this weekend. You guys should come out and stop being pussies. <laughs> One of these days I'll stop being a pussy. That day is not yet. We are too broke, but it, it will come very, very soon. I promise you that. Quite a hitchhike. Hitchhiking and prostitution. You guys are strapping young men. I got to talk to our Find a hovel in Pittsburgh, and you can get a lot done there. Raise some cash real quick, guys. You're not wrong. I love it. Hey, but thanks for coming on, man. For real, it was awesome. We love you, dude. Go, go shove some jelly beans. Right up my ass.